Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well there's been a bit of a recurring theme actually that's been um, mulling around in my mind and, and, in, and, and I was going to use the word in conversations that I've been having and that's a key, key word actually um, recently and you know usually conversation goes something along the lines of how can I find great property deals? You know, when we just start talking about how can you find a great property deal? How can you negotiate the best outcomes? And I was, I've really thinking about this lately. And uh, the reason it's been top of mind in particular uh, of late is I've just started doing uh, a lot of direct to vendor uh, marketing uh, for property deals uh, myself, actually. And so as a result of that, of um, I've been, you know, talking directly to vendors. And, and I think that's the point of today's piece, really. It's, it's about having conversations. Um, and in fact, I find myself talking to a lot of people that I've been mentoring lately and people in my, my community, generally speaking, about the key is not so much to find the deal. The key really is to have a conversation. Uh, and in particular, to have a conversation with a property owner or a property vendor. So a lot of people are, are looking at the moment are on the market and buy on the market, that usually means um, registered with some kind of agent. And, and if you register with an agent and you look at an on-market transaction, then a few things exist really. First of all, there's a lot of competition. It's on the market and it's designed to be that way to drum up competition, to drive the price up, etc. So there's competition. The second thing is usually the dialogue uh, or conversation that takes place is through an intermediary, um, an agent quite clearly. And while sometimes um, we can we can meet the vendor, obviously in these COVID times, that isn't always possible either, even on a viewing, even if uh, technically the, the vendor was the one who would uh, meet us at the property, um, one of the tricks of the trade would be to try and arrange uh, viewings outside of normal working hours. And then you could hopefully have the vendor show you around the property, you know, evenings, weekends, that, that kind of thing. And then you could strike up some sort of conversation with the with the vendor but basically with on market transactions this is really difficult but with off market transactions basically it's the norm and and I've been really enjoying myself of late um I've been having some conversations with vendors and uh, there's this couple of types of property deal that we've been looking at there's there's individual you know single family home style properties or um uh, small you know just just small holdings if you like a flat a house etc Maybe a couple of things uh, in, in, you know, somebody's trying to move on and having a conversation directly with the owner of the property for that. And then, of course, you often end up talking about people's, people's circumstances and their motivations. And that's kind of key, really. Um, but equally, I've been uh, the, the second category of uh, opportunity I've been looking at most recently is with blocks and portfolios. And that's really my focus for this next 12 months is to do much more, um, you know, transactions, you know, larger transactions involving blocks and portfolios. Not necessarily, in fact, actually probably without development, 
um, requirements. Uh, so these are pre-existing properties. There may be some refurbishment. There may be some paperwork exercises that need to be done, such as a title split, uh, that kind of thing. So I found myself having conversations. And um, first of all, it's very human. <laughs> it's really good to have a conversation. It kind of lifts your spirits just to have a conversation. But when you're having this conversation, the purpose really is to uncover the other side's needs, to uncover the other side's motivations and, and all of the things that are important to them. And that's, that then puts us in a place where we can construct, if you like, one or two options to present back to them which might meet their requirements, obviously, at the same time as meeting ours in what I call a win-win outcome. So it's getting to that place where we can have a conversation and adopt what I would call a consultative approach. So we're consulting with the vendor. We're trying to find out what is the situation, what they want to do next, what sort of limitations and constraints do they have, what sort of non-negotiables do they have, and the reason I'm asking all these questions often is it's not usually a case of, well, you know, what's your price and how much discount can I offer you to perhaps take this property off your hands? That's rather crude. And it kind of commoditizes the, uh, the, the, com the, the, the sort of the transaction. It commoditizes the transaction. And, that, and very often in that situation, it just becomes a case of who's going to pay me the most money, um, you know, in the least time uh, with the least hassle for this property. And what I've been finding of late is that there's, uh, we, we, we try and come up with uh, what I call multiple offers. Uh, multiple offers doesn't actually mean hundreds. In fact, it definitely shouldn't mean hundreds. So what we're trying to do is present maybe two or at most three options for a vendor who we've had a conversation with and we've consulted with and we've identified what their needs are for them to consider. And very often those options, the, the two basic options are what are called price or terms. So price would be kind of usually a discounted offer, um, you know, that, you know, from what they're asking for um, ordinarily. Now, it doesn't have to be, actually, because sometimes we could we could pay asking price for certain properties and it could be, you know, still a great deal. But generally speaking, you know, I talk about the, the three F's. Uh, of how to make money through property, forcing the discount being the first one, forcing the appreciation and forcing the yield being the other two. So two out of three and nothing to do with the price itself that you actually pay for it. So there are different ways of skinning this proverbial cat, so to speak. But yes, fine, we try and get a bit of discount going in. And why not? Because you make your money when you buy. But it's not all about that. So um, one of the options that we present is potentially a, a discounted price offer, usually if you're being able to move quite quickly and, um, and that sort of thing. But we ask the um, vendor or the owner in conversation, uh, what's more important, price or speed? And usually if they say uh, speed, then that leads to you know, a preference or a leaning perhaps to a, you know, a fast transaction and usually at some sort of discount. But the purpose of asking that question is it often starts another dialogue. Well, what do you mean? Um, you know, um, if, if, um, if, if I'm hung up on price, what other options are there besides you know, this sort of discount that you can offer me to move quickly? And that moves us into talking about terms. So we've got discount or terms on, on either side, if you like. So when you start talking about terms, what you're really talking about is timing. So 
um, all kinds of financing in, in property is relating to timing. And it's just a deferral of payment or an installment of payment. That's all it is. And so when you're talking to a vendor, don't get hung up on what the actual tool will be. A tool could be a lease option. It could be an exchange with delayed completion. It, it could be several other types. So it could be a joint venture agreement in certain circumstances. There are lots of tools that we could pull out of the toolbox. And, and the trick is not to lead with a tool. The trick is to consult with the vendor and after consulting with the vendor, we might identify a suitable tool, tool to use for this particular job, uh, i.e. the conversation with this vendor that might meet their requirements. So what I'm tending to do at the moment is normally come up with a couple of options. One would be the price-based discount offer. Another one might be a terms-based offer or perhaps a variation you know, of that. So there could be an exchange with, uh, excuse me, exchange with delayed completion offer. But there could also be, uh, for example, a lease option uh, or rent to rent even. You know, it could be different uh, flavors here that we could present. But I would normally say always present two, but never more than three. Um, not never, but, you know, hardly ever. You, you want to put um, some options in front of the uh, vendor because then they're choosing between options. They're not choosing between yes or no. Normally, if you just make one offer, it's a choice of yes or no. But if you say, well, I've got option A and I've got option B and, you know, I've listened to what you've said and you told me A, B, C, you told me you'd like to take your time moving out. You know, so we're giving you time to move out. But in, the, in, in return for giving you time to move out, what we'd like to do is take, um, you know, a, an, an option on this agreement or maybe even exchange and defer the, the completion date to suit your requirements and in the meantime, we can do ABC. ABC might be a refurbishment, might be difficult if they're still living there, obviously. Uh, or it could be, you know, seeking planning permission, for example, or, or some other sort of paper-based exercise. So we, we're trying to construct um, different propositions that we could present to the, the vendor. And we're doing this through conversation. And there's a few, uh, I'd say there's there's some skills. And, um, you know, there's there's some tricks of the trade, really, to to develop in, in, in terms of having these conversations. But once you've got a conversation, your intention is to build rapport, uh, build trust with the, uh, with the vendor, and to maintain dialogue. So when I say maintain dialogue, it's like, well, you, don't, you might ring them, for example, you might go and meet them, but you're really trying to say, would it be okay if we keep talking? Would it be okay if I call you back if I need anything? Would it be okay if I pop around again, if we just need to sort of measure up a, a little bit of, uh, you know, in that back bedroom there that we saw, you know, you're trying to get permissions. You're trying to keep maintain the dialogue. Um, and so you, that's the sort of process that you go through. You're trying to build rapport. You're trying to build trust. Equally, you're trying to uh, test various options. And a really great trick uh, to do this is to, is to use the if um, as, as a preposition before you, you present something. So you don't actually say, I'm going to offer you this or, you know, whatever. You go, if I could do this, would you be able to do that? Or would this work for you if I could do this? So you're not actually offering that, whatever it is. Um, you know, if, if I could actually uh, stagger this sale over a period of time, you know, would that work for you? It, it, you're not leading with that. And they'll tell you, yes or no, it work or it won't work, um, but without actually this, you know, them giving you a no uh, to your proposition. So we, we, we test the various assumptions out. We're asking open questions initially 
uh, if you ask an open question, it allows the vendor or the owner to say what they want, really, in response, and hopefully to talk a lot. Um, but when you start to come down to you know selecting things that might work for you, for us, we then start to ask more close-ended questions. You know, what would you prefer? Time or, or sorry, uh, price or speed, as I mentioned earlier. Well, they give, you're giving them a choice of two, so that's a closed, closed-ended question. You know, which one would you take, A or B? Um, now they may say, "I want C," <laughs> but hopefully, you've asked them after you've consulted for a period of time. So the reason this came to light is well, is several fold. One is I've been talking to quite a few vendors lately. Um, two, I sat in one of our own mastermind group calls recently and. You know, it was, a, it was a group of people who are deal sourcing and we're just talking about uh, how to market to vendors and the, the conversation evolved that way. And, um, and there's, there's a few other people I've been mentoring as well and they've been asking how do I find great deals and, 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 and that kind of thing. So all of these sort of roads have been pointing to this type of uh, eventuality. I don't know about you, but from my point of view, I actually really like deal making, as I call it. Um, talking to the vendor, trying to listen to what their requirements are, and not prejudging what my solution or my proposition or my offer will be. And in fact, trying to construct something, um, or in fact, construct you know several things that could actually work for them and for us. And I think it's um, it's fun. It's a bit of a game. Um, I don't mean game in a casual way. I mean game in the safaris that you need to think on your feet a little bit, um, you can have a bit of fun with this, of course. Uh, it's about, you know, dealing with a human being who's um, got, you know, emotions and they've got needs and they might have some pressure and pain points as well, by the way. So we're, we're, we're dealing with real humans with real circumstances. But the point being, the, the, the more that we uh, understand them and their requirements, the better the chances are of us. Uh, one, you know, building that rapport and that connection, which is going to open the door for us to pitch to them our solution or solutions and two that we're more likely to pitch a solution that's going to work so let me just tell you about a couple of instances that happened recently and and it might illustrate some of the points so there was a uh, an hmo portfolio that was for sale it was advertised directly by the vendor and um, on on one of the platforms and I, i reached out to them so did several other people by the way that's the point of advertising of course but um, very quickly, I was trying to establish myself as a credible player. I was talking about my track record. I was talking about my values that I would always follow through if I've made a commitment. Um, I've, I've talked about, obviously, my position in the marketplace. I mean, you leverage what you have, right? And so that was the first thing. And so you've got permission to speak, really, um, by demonstrating that kind of thing. So you can do that in, in many, many ways. Um, but equally, what I was trying to get to was a conversation. So, but before that, I was asking for information, which was quite of easy, but you start to form a dialogue, and this was by messenger. It wasn't, I wasn't talking, I didn't meet them in person initially. So there was a couple, there was a bit of ping pong uh, with the vendor, and they were providing information. And then, uh, then I'm pushing, you know, did some analysis, and I in fact told them that we had three people looking at their portfolio, and there was quite a lot of analysis that we'd undertaken, and we'd invested quite a lot of time already before we came to speak to them. So I was demonstrating my commitment, um, if you like, to them, to this transaction. So by the time I asked for a meeting, I was already pretty invested uh, insofar as the time that I'd taken. And they were, they, we, we set up a call. And um, again, in the call, what I'm trying to do then is to uh, find common ground, really. So this is an HMO landlord. I've got HMOs. Um, they have, you know, 
they've done a lot of refurbishment to convert houses into HMOs and they've done it in a similar way to the way I've done it. So I can relate to that. And, you know, they, they've done it in a way which is pretty manual. They don't have a lot of systems and I can relate to that too, because I didn't have a lot of systems um, until quite recently in fairness, uh, or in a lot of automation set up in my portfolio. So I could relate to that too. And, and I could relate to some of the pressure points and maybe the pain that they were going through. I was also trying to understand what their requirement was. And this is interesting because I was asking things like, what are your plans? So you just ask an open question. What are your plans? Don't know what they're going to say. Um, and actually what they said to me was, well, we want to raise funds um, to um, develop. Okay, so this is the carrot, right? This is what they want to do next. They want to raise some money. They want to go and do some development. And I said, well, you know, just as a, as a out of curiosity, obviously you've worked really hard to build up this um, HMO portfolio and, you know, it's generating an income stream now. And I'm very happy about that because obviously that's what I'm looking for. But, but you know, out of curiosity, why would you, why would you want to work, walk away from that right now? I mean, I know what you want to do, but is there any, is there a reason why? And they were saying that they were tired They'd done a number of refurbishments back to back and equally, you know, managing, I think, over 50 tenancies, um, you know, it takes a strain. They don't have systems. They, they're doing it largely themselves. They've got a little bit of help and, um, you know, they just want to take a different path. So you're just digging around, you're fishing around, finding out information. And when you're having this kind of conversation, usually golden nuggets land in your lap, right? They just say things. So one of the things that popped out just by having this dialogue was the, the, the owner was describing that I asked them, how are the properties owned? And they said, well, some of them are owned in our individual names and some of them are owned in a company name. And I said, okay, that's interesting. You know, a lot of people do that, start out in their individual name and then later on start a company. And um, I was just asking from a timing point of view, is, uh, is anything critical that we need to be aware of so that when we construct our offer, we, we, we take that into consideration? And their response was, well, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting capital gains tax to increase in the spring budget. All right. So that's around about March. Yeah. So really, um, I'd like to get the deal done before the end of March, if possible, which is not really going to be possible, uh, frankly, around about now. Um, it's going to be difficult to get any kind of transaction that we start now completed by then, just because of the volume of transactions that are, are looking to get through the system. Uh, before the end of March, there's the legal process. The, if you're using financing, financing lenders are gonna, never going to get it done at this point in time, pretty much, um, you know, with certain exceptions. Um, so, you know, that wasn't going to be that likely, but we might be able to push for that with some of the properties. And I noticed that, you know, some of the properties were in individual names and some were in a company name. And so what I did then was test. So I said, well, how about if we aim to get the individual properties through before the your suspected uh, capital gains tax increases. So you get in before that happens. And then maybe we can take care of the company ones later. And, he's, you know, he said, well, when's later? <laughs> when are you thinking about? I said, well, you know, um, he, and he actually said, when's later? What are you thinking about? Because I've had other people pitch me with long-term multiple-year scenarios. I'm thinking, okay, Richard, scrub that one from your list, right? Do not offer a multi-year type of uh, option agreement or similar to this particular vendor because they they clearly said they don't want that. So I kind of um, took that on board and I said, well, maybe it's just a few months or so, first of all, just to ga gauge their reactions, uh, reaction to that. And I said, well, allow us to get through the ones, the most important ones, uh, take the pressure off and make sure that you don't have a, you know, an, an excess tax liability for it slipping. 
And so they were happy with that as long as it was a reasonable period of time. And we agreed that three, six months or something like that would be a reasonable period of time. Well, that was interesting because that's gold dust information for me. So what that enabled me to do was construct a proposition. Um, now, some of this I'm re revealing to the vendor and some of that I'm not. Uh, but internally, what I'm looking at then is, is taking the transaction down in two tranches. Tranche one being the individual uh, owned ones, tranche two being the company owned um, properties in the portfolio. And because uh, of my exit strategy is a refinancing strategy with this particular acquisition primarily, I was able to recycle my cash effectively from tranche one into tranche two. So that means I needed less money to begin with. And that made it a more attractive and compelling deal for me. Um, but obviously I could make it work for them too because I was meeting their objectives and their priorities, which is to avoid any capital gains tax um, you know, penalties as they saw them if, uh, if it changes in the March budget. So this is what I mean. So we're asking questions, we're building rapport, I'm testing it out before I pitch it, and then I go back. And in fact, because the um, things were moving on at the pace, um, I, I said to them, I said, I actually believe your price is, is fair. Is fair. Um, I don't think you are asking for an excess amount. However, you know, it would be foolhardy of me to just offer what you want. And by my own calculations, I, I think we're within, you know, maybe 100K of your price point. How would that go down? How would that sit with you? And uh, they actually said, well, you know, we were probably expecting that kind of thing. We we're hoping, obviously, that someone would pay us our asking price or very close to it. But I can see where you're coming from. That makes sense. So that, that really came out just because of the way that the conversation had gone. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that sort of response unless we'd gone through all of the preamble. We'd built the rapport. I'd tested various things out. I'd related to them. And I'd fixed some of the issues that they, were, that they had in mind, or I said I would. And so then they became a little bit softer or more open about the price. And um, so well, that's, that's pretty good. Um, I actually know that it could be refinanced on an investment value basis at significantly more than the purchase price. So I was quite, to be honest, I'd be quite comfortable playing the asking price. So, um, you know, th these are the things that we're talking about with the vendor. And um, so then we go away. And, but what I've done is, would it be okay if we set up another call later on to go through things? I'm going to construct this uh, uh, proposition for you now and come back. So long story short, that's what we did. Now, <laughs> I'm going to spoil all of this now because I'm going to tell you that actually they've accepted another offer, which is significantly more than the offer that uh, we discussed. And, you know, um, I kind of te tested out, didn't actually get as far as making the offer, which is an interesting thing. Um, but here's the point. Uh, I think over 20 offers were, were presented or 20 conversations were had. Um, maybe not conversations, but 20 people engaged. And they accepted a higher offer, which is significantly more than my offer. But I was told categorically by the vendor that they preferred working with me. Um, but obviously, at such a pr price difference, they weren't going to ask me to match that. And to be honest, I wouldn't. Um, um, from a pure pricing point of view, I might do under different circumstances. Um, but they said, if you know, they, they, they doubt the credibility of the offer. That was interesting. They doubt the credibility and the, and the capability of the other par party to follow through. But they said that they had no option really but to give it a go. And to be honest, I'd probably agree with that. Um, so I'm I'm really plan B. <laughs> That's where I'm going with this. I'm plan B. But I'm plan B, not pl you know, plan Z. There's uh, as I said, I know there's 26 letters in the alphabet. Don't correct me on this. But you know, um, I'd got into the best of the rest, if you like. Um, and really because of the conversation. That's the point I'm trying to make.
So that was one example. Now, I didn't win out on that one, not yet. Um, but just to sort of paint the picture, because we, we um, it's a numbers game. You know, when we're talking direct to vendor or any kind of property transaction, it's a numbers game. We don't win them all. In fact, if we're winning them all, we're paying too much money. So, um, you know, we're expecting not to win them all. So that was the first example. A second example is, is basically someone I've known um, for a couple of years now. In fact, I bought a property off him and we stayed in touch. This is an important you know, consideration. So always follow through, always follow back, always reconnect with your contacts. And so I was just connecting with this particular person. They'd sold me a property. Uh, it was a development uh, proposition. And I was chatting to them because they're local to where I am. And I've got another site and I was looking for a contractor. So I thought, I wonder if, I wonder if they know. So I gave them a call and we're just catching up. How are things with you? What's going on? And lo and behold, they say to me something along the lines of, well, you know, I've got a couple of properties for sale, actually. Um, don't suppose you know anybody. That's what they're asking me. Don't suppose you know anybody. You'd be looking for, you know, two up, two down terraced house, um, you know, that's pre-let and I can take over. I can look after the management. They're a letting agent. Um, well, I might do. Tell me more. Right. So I'm obviously gathering information. And, you know, to cut a long story short, basically, because of the relationship I already had with this person and some trust that had been built up, even though I actually paid quite a bit below market value for his pro previous property in the past, he's telling me information and I'm, I'm, I'm basically offering to help. And before I know it, I've got a spreadsheet in my inbox with, I think it's 10 or 12 properties of theirs. Because now he said, actually, I consider selling the lot. Oh, hang on a minute. So now it's not just two properties that I've got available on the off chance. Richard, do you know anybody? It's actually, I've got my entire portfolio. So we can start going for the process again. Okay, so why are we looking at the entire portfolio? What are you trying to achieve here? What would be a good end point for you? What would be a good outcome? And then what sort of timeline? So I'm using the consultative approach again. And what led to this spreadsheet that landed in my inbox was their internal workings. It was everything. It had addresses, it had the purchase price, it had the mortgage, it had the rent, it had everything that you would imagine that someone would have on a, on a spreadsheet. And it landed in my inbox. So I was able to number crunch, I was able to work out the, um, their position uh, from a capital gains tax point of view, for example, and you know where the pain points were. I could see that uh, what you know, offering certain amounts of money would mean from a capital gains tax point of view, but also from a, um, an equity point of view with re regard to their mortgage. And this has all come out because of the relationship and it's all come out because of the trust and it's all come out because of the conversation. And that's where I'm getting to. So I've been talking for, you know, a few minutes now, so I'm not going to extend it unduly, but I just wanted to kind of make this point that really, um, I think the best type of property deal is not really where you start looking for a property deal. The best type of property deal is where you start looking for to have a conversation or two. So just put yourself out there, have conversations. You find deals in the most unexpected of places. As I mentioned, I just called someone who sold me a property a couple of years ago. And lo and behold, they're you know offering me their portfolio. Um, <laughs> and so you, know, you just talk to people, have these conversations. Sure, go looking for people who are advertising you know, directly to sell their properties or their portfolios, whatever it is you're looking to do, and just strike up a conversation. But treat it like a conversation. You know, it's two individuals who are talking. It's a relationship. 
It's a, it's a fact-finding mission. It is a consultative approach. And it's a far more elegant way, I think, anyway, of going about you know, working in this, in this industry. And don't get me wrong, I've been in there into agents, putting in low-ball offers and going, take it or leave it or whatever. But that's very adversarial. And you know, it's, if you, you might win out sometimes with that kind of approach, usually if you're the only show in town. Um, but so try and strike up this report. Try and have meaningful conversations is really the big takeaway from today's podcast in case you hadn't got it. So um, that's it pretty much. I, I didn't really want to share too much more in, in terms of this. Um, I'm also, funny enough, going to be writing an article um, for YPN for the next issue, uh, very much related to this. And in that, I've actually got a nine-step process, which, um, which will be outlined in the article. So I'm going to save that for YPN. But I just thought I'd share with you the principles and uh, a couple of examples, really, that I've been talking about of late. And it's fun. You can probably tell in my voice. I really enjoy having these conversations with, uh, with vendors. There's so many other examples I could tell you about. Um, they don't always happen immediately. Usually, uh, they're more like a slow cooker uh, than they are, you know, a kind of a fire, a flaming fire, um, slow burners. So you have to keep in touch with people. You have to work up the relationship. Uh, and there's multiple contact points um, to be able to make these uh, these opportunities land. But that was it. Um, I just thought, thought I'd share that with you today. Uh, have meaningful conversations. Uh, and, and in particular, try and have them directly with vendors. So um, there we go. That's all from me. The show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, as they usually are. And um, if you want to know anything about today's um, episode or talk to me about anything to do with property, and in particular, actually, if you want to talk about the TPV Apprentice Program, which uh, another cohort will be launching in the next uh, month or so, perhaps, perhaps, that's if you're in it, um, then, then, you know, contact me. My, web, my phone number is on the website, actually, that I've just referenced, but you can reach me personally, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And there's a chap called Daniel who actually did exactly that recently. He listened to my podcast. He actually wrote to me, he said, I'm inspired, which was brilliant. Um, and it just, we started a conversation and, and then, you know, who knows where it may lead to, but it could well lead to him being on the apprentice program. So that could be you too. I only work with uh, maybe four or five people for any particular intake. So reach out if that sounds like you and we can have a conversation, can't we? So that's it. I uh, just want to say thanks very much for listening once again this week. Um, and then until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Chacha. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.